0: I it up, 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 it up,
1: And welcome to the News Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, f- flown fresh in from Hungary, we have...
0: Oh, fuck. <laughs> you got Terry here, then. I need to get
1: myself back together, after, after a weekend with Tom Selleck. Uh... <laughs> 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 and also with me...
2: Martin. I'm the only one here who's fresh. You two are both broken men
1: single man, mate, on a Smasher weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've... Uh, do we have much to get? I mean, we have about a zillion questions, but uh, there's not a lot of fights to review. Am I right? But these are the ones the fans
0: enjoy. I think probably 80% of our fans don't even watch boxing.
2: Do you want me to do a quick review of uh, what I've seen over the weekend? Get out of the way? Because then we can get onto the stuff people do enjoy. But... Uh, is that
1: Skeet Mullender?
2: Nope. Skeet and Mullender, but... Uh... They won't find each other. Well, but well. then you're seriously hungover. Yeah. So. <laughs> so they probably did in your head.
1: Uh, okay, then you tell me what you've seen over the weekend. That's, right. that's Friday
2: one. night, um, it was on Box Nation. So yeah, Bradley Skeet defending his British welterweight title against Shane Singleton. Um, it was a different version of Skeet. I think Shane Singleton had wound him up in the, uh, in the build-up to this fight. There were a few, uh, first couple of rounds, Skeep was getting caught quite freely by Singleton. Skeep wasn't his usual uh, quite defensive self. Uh, we saw against Eggington how he'd kind of gone into his boxing form again. Um, but this fight, it just, he was looking for a fight all the way through it. Wasn't landing anything for two rounds, three rounds. Uh, and then towards the end of the third, I think it was, he really, really rocked Singleton. Uh, I think he dropped him in the third, if I remember rightly. But uh, then he went on and he just started to really like attack. He was moving into that kind of danger zone, but not doing what you kind of used to see him, which is land a few and then back out. He was just staying there and he was landing at will with the right hand. Uh, Singleton just couldn't uh, handle it. He got dropped, I think, three times in the fight in total. Uh, Referee stopped it correctly. It wasn't a, a dodgy stoppage by any means. Uh, And Bradley Skeet will now go on looking to defend the, uh, the British title, which will be against Day 11. And I think that'll be if he wins it, he gets it outright and gets to keep the belt. Um, Bradley, Skeeter? Bradley Skeet was the one who he used to
1: wind up his arms
2: Yeah I have a lifetime. I mean Andy was just winding his arms there So when he said it Was Bradley Skeet the one Almost who Almost like the
1: Bushwhackers
2: <laughs> from WWF That's what I
1: meant it was sort of like Oh wow
2: <laughs> It was What you're thinking like Referring to is the Frankie Gavin fight Yeah uh, On the undercard of well, Fury Chizora. I seen really since then Well he put me off that night Because he was just awful for yeah. me Um I've never really been able... Same way I don't like Tony Bellew since the undercard of Frotch versus Yusuf Mack when he fought Roberto Bellonti. It was a dreadful fight. I've never been able to figure... Another if, fight where Bellew fights a really tough opponent.
1: <laughs> wow, what was the Bellew thing where he hides in the corner? He no, that was a Stevenson. Right, so what did he
2: actually do? Shut himself. He almost turned his back in the ring on Stevenson whilst Stevenson was just throwing his big left hand at him.
0: He looked like... He looked like daniel son doing the crane kick,
2: <laughs> yeah, except he, slightly twisted. He just cowered in the corner uh, until the <laughs> rest jumped in. It was, you know when you see the CCTV of someone getting a kick in, in a bus stop, and then you're kind of waiting for somebody to come in and stop it. That was Bellew that night. And there's
0: that one shot where the guy just has a face of absolute terror.
2: Yeah you know, Bell a man who can criticise Kel Brooks for not fighting on with a... a broken eye socket. He's got every right to do that because the way he fought out against Stevenson, he's got yeah. every right fought, to fought, fought with an ass full of shit. Basically, it <laughs> didn't. By the end, they're gone. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, undercard, we had Lee Markham defending his English middleweight title against Joe Mullinder. Smoking Joe! Smoking Joe. So a rematch of a fight from last year on the undercard of one of the David Hay uh, comeback fights. Uh, Mullinder showed a little bit more boxing now this time around. He was actually... I've seen Mullinder fight probably three or four times in the past. Um, he was actually moving his head and using his hands to defend rather than just using his head to defend. Uh, which he's very good at. He's got a chin of iron, but it doesn't necessarily win your fights. Um, and he was just forcing the pressure. really, like if you just like watching two blokes throw dozens of punches at each other every round and stand on each other's toes, then you'll enjoy it. Like there wasn't necessarily a massive amount of science behind it, but it was a punch up. I think that's probably the best way of describing it. Um, but Mullender was forcing the tempo of the fight. He was forcing, he was the aggressor throughout it. Uh, and Markham was just—he was more on the back foot than I anticipated he would be. Uh, but it was a nice fight. It was uh, Joe Munda came away—you know—he won—he uh, won the English title from Markham. So it sets up probably a third fight between uh, the two of them, at some point in the future. Other stuff on the undercard—you have Boy Jones on there. Uh, I think he got first-round knockout win. Um, I can't remember who else was on there now, if I'm honest, but oh, Charlie Duffield was making his return. and uh,
0: was it like a, I'm sure there's like a, either a Driscoll or Danny Carr Danny Danny was on there. Danny Carr
2: was on there, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think Box Nation showed all of it, and if they did, I didn't see all of it. But, but
0: how did you think the promotion went? Um, what do you think of the promoter putting the show together?
2: Wham! Promotions are one of my favourite promotional bodies uh, out there. Um Warren, Ayling and someone else make up Wham Promotion, So, you know, it's three good men. Great men. Um, yeah. Any other questions, Your Honor?
1: Um, Jamie Reed asks, Skated a decent win, displaying a bit of power in the process. How much do you guys rate him and how far can you see him going?
2: I can't judge based on Shane Singleton. Shane Singleton wasn't that good. Uh, Skeet was getting hit with shots he shouldn't have, but I think... He knew from the opening bell that it was a fight that he couldn't lose. So I don't think he was necessarily bothered about what was coming back at him. Um, I'm worried about Bradley Skeet and that why has nobody stepped him past British level within, was he, 24, 25 fights now? Something like that. Um, you know, his best opponent he's ever fought was Frankie Gavin. And in that fight, Frankie Gavin uh, you know, played with him a bit. It wasn't a one-sided affair by any means, but Bradley Skeet couldn't get rid of Gavin, couldn't really damage him. We've seen what Gavin's level is, what he's gone on to do. Uh, that said, you know Bradley Skeet schooled Sam Eginton. Sam Eginton's gone on to win the European title, so that tells you that Skeet, you know, should be that level or above. I just, uh, it was nicer to see a different side of him, more vicious, more violent side of him on Friday night than I think we've seen before. Whether he would still carry that attitude against a world class fighter. But I think they're talking probably within the next twelve months of moving him past that British level and then starting to get him. You need someone like an Andre Berto, uh, a named fighter who isn't a huge risk at world level. Um, he, he Skeet's a big man at Tour He's huge.
0: Like when you, if if I mean one thing I do like about Bradley Skeet is he'll still go to amateur shows, so he'll still be the guy you yes. see at an Earl's Field. And he show. walks
2: he walks down to the ring as well with like the small hall lads. So. Yeah. Um, you know, if he's got a gym mate who's fighting, you'll often see him there, and he'll often do the ring walk and go with them, which I think is a great touch. I, I, I think I've said it before:
0: he's a boxer's boxer. He's tall, he's long. One of the things that when you talk to the training guys, you say, "Look, he's got to use his leverage more when he punches." Like he's never going to be a big mechanical puncher. You know, he's not going to be that heavily muscled Andre Berto type guy who can detonate. But his arms are long enough that he should be able to generate good leverage. And when what you're looking for there is. What does he do against someone who's not there to be hit all the time? And Martin alluded to it, like yeah, Frankie Gavin who wasn't there to be hit, bit of a struggle, but that's understandable. He he just needs more fights like that, I guess. Um, who would you have him fight? Let him fight someone someone like a Roberto Guerrero. You know, someone who just like Eggington did, someone who's clearly on the way down and hasn't got a performance left in them. You know, I would have said Victor Ortiz, but I don't think we're gonna dig him out of anywhere anytime <laughs> soon. You know. But there are guys at world level he can hang with. It's about whether those backing him want to put the money down. With Eggington, matching we're putting the money down for him. So they're paying people. they like, look, we'll pay you to fight our guy. Are the backers of Skeet doing that? I just don't think the pot's that deep at the moment. So we're we'll getting the fights that we need until that pot gets bigger. So hopefully BT will put their hand in their pocket at some point.
1: Uh, David Hay has left McGuigan. Um, what? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> huh? Apparently to do a modelling career. Well, so well, well, well he'd excel
0: at that too. You know, <laughs>
1: Fashion advice,
0: um, I've got, motoring
1: recommendations. I've got a few questions on uh, Mr Hay, but just uh, give us the lowdown, what you know about this so far.
2: They put out the announcement on Friday, I think it was, that uh, they've separated. It was an amicable split, apparently. I've never seen a boxer and a promoter go their separate. Oh sorry, a boxer and a trainer go their separate ways and say that we've fallen out and it's been horrible. Um, so I think you know, read between the lines. <laughs> what was Shane McGuigan to David Hay? It's questionable. I'm sure Terry's got a better insight than me, but you, you know, you saw in the the lead up to the Bellu fight that Hay was away on this boat. Now I realise that's social media, and he was probably you know playing possum a little bit with it. But Shane McGuigan what did he ever provide for Hay and what does Hay ever need out of a trainer? So I don't know. I don't know where it leaves him really, but Terry, I think uh, you've flown back from Hungary, especially to discuss this. (laughs) Let's, let's have the insight. This is my salvation today, guys. So bear with me. Sit back. Um,
0: So let's start with, with what it is. What's at the heart of this? I think there's always that tension of what you know and what it means. So, if I know a piece of information about someone, so let's say I know about Martin's, you know, physical condition or anything like that. Peak. Fantastic. In shape. Animal. Yeah, you
1: feeling good, Andy? Nice. I'm feeling opposite <laughs> of peak right now. <laughs> T- trough.
0: Yeah, trough. Um, no, no, so look. I might I might look at Martin and say, You've had a good innings, mate. I can't see how we can stitch you together, tape you up, and get you back to where you think you should be. Here's where you are. Can you see that? Yes, no. And fighters are not people. And this is what makes fighters great in the ring. It's what makes them frustrating outside the ring. Fighters don't see logic. They also don't see the wood for the trees. I'll, look, I don't think David should retire. I think he should have one more fight. If he can fight, if he can climb that mountaintop once more, why not? You know, look. Paul, at,
1: Paul Hindley asks, "Can he be? Can th- wait? Can Paul Can, he, can he, Well, I know if no, because no. you'll answer this question before I get a chance to ask it. So, why can he? he even can Hay be a threat at the heavy uh, as a heavyweight again? And who would be a good fit as a trainer?
0: Heavyweight boxing's moved on. So, when David was smashing guys at value to pieces, they were the heavyweights we had. Not very athletic, big, there to be hit. Just large lumps, essentially, which is fine, right? This is 2017. You've got guys like Wilder, who in another life, Deontay Wilder is playing power forward in the NBA. you got Anthony Joshua, who in another world is probably playing number eight for England. You've got guys who are athletes now, and they're big. They can do what David does, and they're bigger. You know, we saw Tony Yoko box on Friday. Another guy of that mold as well. David almost a victim, or David almost created his nemesis. If that makes sense, he was so athletic and so powerful that he became the gold standard of what a heavyweight should be, and now these guys have taken it to a level, and he can mix it up with guys up until about six foot four, six foot five. Beyond that, the six sixes, six sevens, it's a hard slog, as we saw against Klitschko. But David is immensely talented, and he's immensely skilled. And he's a fighter who, if fit, we should want to watch. Um, I know I get stick on Twitter from you know from Dublin in general for for my respect of David Hay, but aren't we bored of watching the one two merchants, the guys who box safely? Here's a guy who, I mean, he gives you entertainment. It's, a, it's explosive. Stick him in with Cesaro. Stick him in with Dinian White. If his body holds up. Just let him lay waste to all of these guys. Pay for it on pay-per-view and just damn well enjoy it. But we almost come back around to what happened in the split. There are a number of things. In my opinion is there are many elements. Number one, Shane doesn't need David. you got Groves who's a world champion. you got Frampton who's a world champion. Josh Taylor's likely to be a world champion. Conrad Cummings will be a factor at some point. Probably not yet because as long as Golovkin and Canelo are holding the belts somewhat shocking um so you've got that and then you've got the business side of things how how, how as david hey can you have shane in the gym while you're talking Ringstar haymaker business when he's talking mcguigan cyclone business if you see what i mean there comes a point where you've got to keep secrets from your trainer and when you have that split it just doesn't work as well so We'll pick an example because I know she listens now based on the shit I got on Twitter. (laughs) You've you've got a Chantal Cameron floating around. I'm David Hay. I'd quite like Chantal Cameron on my roster. I'm sure Shane would like Chantal Cameron on his roster. We're, We're pulling apart at this point. So I think there's probably a number of things. I think there's also, you know, was he happy the towel got thrown in? Don't know. Did Shane say to David, I don't think you should take the bell you fight? I mean, you're not physically ready, and he was overruled, and then he was like, fuck it, I don't need this. Don't know, these guys will never tell. They might tell in a moment of candor, but generally speaking, there were always elements, and I think on one of the previous podcasts, I talked about that elephant in the room. What's going to happen when you have Ringstar Haymaker moving in one direction and Cyclone moving in another? They had to either amalgamate or completely separate, I think, because where David wants to go seems very, very big, and where the McGwiggers want to go also seems very big. And you just had Shane and David as the only links between the two. So the separation, I think, is an opportune one. It's probably the right thing to do. I don't think there was one big factor. There was probably a lot of elements where it's like, it's just going to get awkward between us. So let's move on. Who does David go with next? <sighs> no idea. The only criteria I can think of are he has to be able to get David through his next two years, physically and psychologically. But more importantly, he has to be someone that David respects. Because you've got David Hey, he knows probably more about boxing than us three combined. And he needs someone who he will listen to when they say, look... You've got to do seven rounds sparring, not eight, not four, seven. Well, and so he needs that.
1: If you're choosing him a trainer, who do you choose? I know you just said you got no idea, but let's just say it's your job to find to have an idea. Who who would you go for? I'd pull a team together,
0: and I'd, I'd and people go who? I'd get Eddie Lamb in there. I'd get Mark Reiger in there, and maybe someone like a Roy Connor. I'd just get the guys who knew him from when he was an amateur. He doesn't need that much expertise. He needs guys who can go look. We've known you since you were eleven,
1: right? We know what works for you. We know what doesn't work for you. Do, do you think, given how much he knows about the sport um, and about himself and about the workings of the sport, do you think he already has an idea of who he'd like to be trained by?
0: I would imagine that's pretty much done and dusted. That decision's been made. Dave is not a guy to to act out of haste, so I'd imagine that's all been done and we'll just wait for the announcement.
1: Martin, do you think Hay could have a deal with Sky somehow? He seems to get a lot of attention on Sky Sports, unlike other non-Sky Fighters. That's from Kev Morrow.
2: No, would be the answer. I think uh, he's been talking about this Ringstar Star setup that he's got with Richard Schaefer. They were meant to be announcing a TV deal not too long ago, and nothing's come of it yet. I don't think that'll be with Sky, because Sky are exclusively with Hearn. What I think Sky have an interest in David Hay is the celebrity element as well as keeping him uh, in the limelight for the likes of um, Dillian White and, you know, potentially still Anthony Joshua. Now, David Hay sells, and that's just a fact. Like, the Bellew figures will tell you that Bellew's never sold that in his life in terms of the pay-per-view numbers, uh, but David Hay does. So, I think Sky have a vested interest in getting David Hay back into the limelight and getting him fighting because there's still money behind David Hay. And they can get him on a pay per view platform and they can sell David Hay. Quite what happened with the whole Ringstar um, Haymaker collaboration. No idea at all. But I say, I think Sky's interest is, you know, they need to keep him in the limelight. They need to not let people forget about him because they want to make money out of him ultimately. Uh, and I think they will again at some point in the future. Going back to the trainer, I think, uh, I don't know what your thoughts on it, Terry, because Hay has, you know, his family links, he's got the child in London, I don't know what's going on with his wife, and, you know, that's a very private thing anyway, so that's, you know, something we wouldn't expect to know, but whether he would look it up in sticks and going out to America for training, you know, he seems to spend a lot of time there anyway, so you've got Rubio out in uh, Miami, that might be one that... He would consider all Freddie Roach out in LA. I don't know if those are the kind of um, trainers that he would potentially look at going with, but maybe moving out of London for training camps, because he tends to do that anyway. Um, and maybe he would look at something a little more left field, like just getting out of the UK entirely for it.
0: If I were going to pick trainers based on that, <coughs> like if you said to me, who in America would you go with? I'd always pick Nazim Richardson. You need someone who's got what I call close quarters now. So most trainers can teach you ninety five percent of what boxing is. The differentiator is what happens in that five percent. What is that added value that a trainer gives you? Uh brother Nazim Richardson, as you saw with Hopkins, and you know there's a reason why Hopkins didn't look so good in his last fight because Brother Nazim was wasn't there and had he been there he would have said to Bernard, Stay off those fucking ropes. So he knows his boxing. You've got Nazim Richardson, you've got Virgil Hunter, and you know, he, if you're going to be surreal, you'd have someone like me. Look, even like Derek James is a trainer on the rise, but I just don't think David would want to train out of Texas. So it's about locations he likes. Rubio's a good shot because he works out of Miami, yeah. so that's easy for him. <clears throat> but I can see it just being some something
2: British-based, but I, I don't know who would be a good fit. Dave Caldwell. He's carried his T-shirts before. You know, knows him from the Bell you fight. <laughs> but I saw Fowler. Like, like he, uh, no, I'm not being serious. By the uh, way, I'm not endorsing <laughs> Dave Coldwell for the job. Oh, no, 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 it's no, no. Andy, back to you. So, yeah, you were <laughs> yawning, and uh... <laughs> yeah, you're all right,
1: mate. Um, do you think Shane? Uh, Stuart Dayden asks, do you think Shane split with Hay because Shane thinks that he should hang his gloves up, but Hay won't? Um, and then he goes on to say that rumours were that he split with Booth for that very reason. I
0: think. I- Go on, Terry. I was like, the booth split is is manyfold. Number one, like those guys have been together in each other's pockets since David was eighteen, anyway. So there comes a point in every relationship where you're like, I've just seen enough of you. I'm you know I'm done now. So there's that element to it. There's also you know, was the physical training appropriate for where David was in his career? The number of pulled out fights would suggest no. So the, when you split with someone, it's never one reason. There'll be four or five things that come together in a moment and you look back and you go, actually, there are all of these issues here. It's probably best we step away because we can't resolve all of these. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't think too much about the whole he should hang, hang them up. That might've been part of the discussion. It wouldn't have been the totality of the discussion.
1: Do you think Hay achieved his potential he won. Am I right in thinking he won one world title?
2: Uh, one heavyweight world title. Oh, he unified I, I, the cruiserweight.
1: Yeah. All right. So, do you think he achieved his potential? In the, well, okay, just just that. Do you think he achieved his potential?
2: Yeah. I mean, he's a naturally sized cruiserweight. Perhaps that's even a little bit too big for him. He he fulfilled that potential. Not many fighters ever unified a division. He unified cruiserweight. He beat a feared McCormack. Uh, he took apart Macaronelli. He's probably overachieved in the sense of going up and winning a world heavyweight title. Now, it's a weak um, part of the division that he focused upon. Make no mistake about it, the likes of Valuev, the likes of uh, John Ruiz, they were weak uh, opponents, and he got found out by the additional size of a Klitschko. Now, what you have to respect is that he went up and tried it, because uh, there aren't that many fighters that would do it don't cite Bellew as one of them that will because that's you know lies um, but for Hay you know yeah he's to me he's overachieved in that he's won those two division uh, world titles I think you have to respect that but you know personally I think it's time that he hung the gloves up I ran a Twitter poll that had uh, about 160 odd um, votes on it that gave the options of uh, of what should David Hay be doing with his career Uh Worded as the hay, the hay comeback has been underwhelming. So, which of these would be the best thing for his career? This is after he'd split with Shane. Eighteen percent said stay with Shane and fight on. Twenty-eight percent said leave Shane but fight on, and fifty-four percent of people
1: said retire. Which uh, I must admit, I don't I don't have an appetite to see him anymore because I don't feel like I feel like I'm only ever going to be underwhelmed by his performances. That's... Well, look. Is he gonna blow me away again? Well,
0: but well, he's a thirty-six-year-old man. Like who, we're all guys in our thirties here, right? Do you do you think you can do what you could do in your twenties? Absolutely
2: oh. not, but then I'd retire yeah, from that's it what I was on that. Say, yeah. No, no, yeah. but could, you know, Andy, I mean, well, depends. Could, could you depends have seven what, in a bed like Depends you did what discipline, ago? yeah,
1: mate, I mean. Andy's drinking
2: state means, you know, today is evidence he can't do what he can do in his 20s. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point.
0: So, so I, and I say this, and, and people go, oh, he's just blowing smoke up David Hayes' ass. I think I've said this many times on the podcast around boxers. Once you've done the things that are either going to get you in the Hall of Fame or not get you in the Hall of Fame, Have the career that you want. So a guy like Miguel Cotto is a prime example. If you listen to American people talk about Miguel Cotto, they expect him to fight Canelo. They expect him to fight Golovkin. I'm like, Cotto's a 36, 37-year-old man. He has no business. He's already had his career. He's had a fulsome career. Let him have the fights that entertain him. Let him have fights that will entertain us. We just want to be entertained now. I don't want to see him climb the mountain. Same thing with David. I don't necessarily want to see David climbing the mountain. Because he doesn't need to. But can he have meaningful fights? Of course he can. You know, he can have a rematch with Bellevue. That will be entertaining. Yeah, will he be can entertaining. have a fight with That's Dillian White. Right. That will be entertaining. Uh, he could fight Chisora again. What's that the could point be entertaining. of him
1: fighting Dillian White, though? No, like, no, no,
0: no. Stop, stop, stop. You know, no, a, no, no, fight to the and, and, side, and, and Who's going to be no, the slightly
1: on. average boxer in no, no, the no, no, division?
0: No, no. Hold on. Hold on. You're, 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 <laughs> you're looking at it as if... There's a career path for David. I'm trying to explain to you. He's already done that. He's already been a world champion, right? Don't you just want to watch a fight where you're entertained for however long it lasts? Isn't that what you pay for?
1: Uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I suppose they're yeah. both so, kind so, of so, interesting fighters, both, both uh, to a certain extent vulnerable, to a certain extent exciting. No, no, but, but
0: this is the mindset yeah. here that kills boxing, right? Because... You're saying you want meaningful fights, but then you're saying, well, that fight doesn't mean anything in the bigger well, you picture. You want
1: a storyline, don't you? You want well, sort no, of no, 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 no. That's reason... what Eddie
0: Hearn has sold you, you see. Yeah, but that's a... I want two men to box. Yeah. The closer they are in ability, maybe one's on the way up, one's on the way down, just give me a damn good fight. Yeah, all right. And David I... will deliver that.
1: Yeah, if, if, yeah, all right. So I would, if it was, but what I wouldn't want to see is, hey, why headlining a pay-per-view I'd want to see it as like I don't know Joshua Klitschko rematch and then on the undercard Hay and White I don't want to have to pay X amount of pounds just to watch like I say to what I consider to be above average heavyweights just go and pay top pay-per-view prices
0: so, so, so that I agree with but as I've said look David could fight Bell you in a rematch that should headline a pay-per-view quite rightly um, because, as you said, yeah, there, there's a story.
1: Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. If
0: he if he were to win that, he can't go and fight Tyson Fury. That would be just a ridiculous request.
1: Well, then you could have a third Belly fight, could not he? You? Well, you,
0: that's probably where it's headed—the yeah. trilogy—and then probably after that, you ride off into the sunset. But I guess what I'm trying to say about David is you can't expect of him what you're expecting of Joshua, because we're looking at Joshua going, mate, we want you to build your legacy. Well, David, he's done that. And when people say, has he fulfilled his potential? Let's remember, this is a guy who, if he didn't train or didn't do anything, would probably walk around at about 87 kilos, realistically. He would walk around at 87 kilos. You know, always boxed well above his weight. He should have been a career light heavy, but he always wanted to be heavyweight champion of the world. And he achieved
1: that, so I don't think he can say he underachieved. Um. Dean J um, is trolling you and asking, one for, one for Terry, is David Hay overrated? <laughs> Look. I think you should answer that with the disdain it deserves, maybe. The greatest cruiserweight
0: possibly of all time. Definitely one of the more dominant champions between him and Holyfield. um, So dangerous, O'Neal, Bell, Rest in Peace avoided him like the plague. So I don't think he ever quite got that IBF belt that he deserved. Then he would have just had all the belts. Um... Look, how many times do I have to say this on the podcast? Everything you see boxers do now, David started. You know, with the exception of... no, Audley Harrison had A-Force, but that was never really a success. It had one BBC check and flopped. David's been his own man from day one. Haymaker Promotions has been the thing from day one. The Haymaker t-shirts, the being sponsored by Park Plaza from day one. All of this stuff that you see in boxing that you guys take for granted wasn't there when David was there. The GQ shoots. Remember, I told you, Eddie Hearn dislikes David because he wishes he could have promoted David. Because he'd have made more money with David Hay than he'll ever make with Anthony Joshua. Because Joshua is so manufactured. But you look at David, David was prepared to be a great champion. From his days at Fitzroy Lodge. That's why you stick a microphone in front of David. He can be articulate. He can. He, I mean, he can exude menace when he needs to. You know, well dressed, understands the the finer points in life, the nuances in life. He's listen. We won't see a man like David Hay in British boxing for a long, long time. And for all those people slagging him off, I promise
1: you, you will miss him when he's gone. Okay, moving on, uh, the World Super Series Boxing Update, uh, Martin.
2: Right, so this week they've announced uh, three of the Cruiserweight contenders that are going to be taking part in, um, in the World Super Series of Boxing, so to go back, it's the tournament where they're going to get, uh, however many Well, six per weight division, I think they announced Super Middleweight and uh, Cruiserweight were going to be the two divisions. So yeah, the three names that they've announced for it this week are actually very good, um, which is quite surprising, because I thought they would be some of the weaker names, or just the Sourland only names. So for the cruiserweights, you've got the IBF world champion Murat Gassiev, the WBC world champion Maris Bradis, who uh, was meant to be fighting Tony Bellew a while back, before Bellew ran to uh, heavyweight. Uh, and the former IBF and WBC champion, Krzysztof uh, Vlodaric. I can't pronounce that properly at all. No. So, <laughs> ignoring pronunciation. They're three decent names. Um, three quality fighters. Providing they all stay in there, it'll be interesting to see who the other three cruiserweights that they, uh, they get out for it are. But yeah, it's quite surprising. So they've obviously come to some agreement uh, maybe I haven't checked the the timings of when their mandatory fights are to defend those world titles of two that hold them, uh, but I'm guessing there's some kind of agreement that either um, they've come to with the the governing bodies or the the belting bodies, or they're going to fit them in somehow into this tournament. I'm not sure, but I think it's just it's a good sign that actually the the world super series of boxing is going somewhere uh, and it's not a total dud, which. I think, to be fair, we'd feared it might have been uh, when they announced it initially. Can I be cynical and go,
0: if ever you were going to get the best people in a division to sign up, it will be the cruiserweight. There's Absolutely. No, there's no money in that division. So anything that looks like it will get them more money, let's... But that's just being yeah. clever. Like If yeah. you're going to pick one, go for that one. Yeah. The test will be who they get at heavyweight, who they get at middleweight, who they get at probably Welter.
2: But well, a super middleweight one will be interesting.
0: Yeah, that one as well. Um, fuck, I saw Kessler is training again.
2: Oh, he's, he's coming back. He announced he's coming back. Oh, for,
0: G- for God's sake. Yo, when, he, when he said it, I thought it was one of those things. You know, people say when you, when you thrust the mic in their face, they go, yeah, my yeah like I might come back. Yeah,
2: like French does every time yeah. he sees a microphone.
0: Yeah, whereas I'm, I'm looking <laughs> like at Kessler and I'm like... Reflex. <laughs> I'm like, you already look old and you haven't started a training camp yet. You look old as fuck. Stop boxing. And I've just contradicted myself because I said it's not really fair to tell someone when they should stop. But you already stopped. Like, don't come back. <laughs> Jesus. Like... He'll be in this
2: World Super Series.
0: And I hope someone Thank smashes him all. to pieces. I hope he gets stopped in the first round because it's the height of arrogance to go, well, yeah, I'm watching Badoo Jack. I could have beaten those guys. And then you want to almost play his record back to him. It's like, mate, don't believe the hype. You are fucking average. <laughs> Super
2: middleweight at your best. Best.
1: I was going to say, it's peak. Why um, Why does Cruiserweight suffer in terms of not having money in the division?
2: A lot of Eastern Europeans. There's not the money there necessarily in the <laughs> highlight. And
1: you're um, not
2: heavyweight. And you're not really skillful. You're just kind yeah. of big lumps. There were some good fights, though. Like, they're entertaining fights, the Cruiserweights. Uh, was yeah. it last night? Duodola and the Russian fella. Um I can't, remember, I can't remember his name. The Russian fella. Big right hand just cleaned him out. I don't, I don't mind the cruiser weights, but I say it is an awful lot of Eastern Europeans. Eastern Europeans just don't sell necessarily elsewhere, so it's a good, you know, put them all together. Just see who's the best.
1: A uh, couple of random questions. If you had the choice to shake up the boxing weigh-ins procedure, what would you change and why?
0: I'd have an eating contest straight after it. <laughs> Literally, like, hot dogs, everything. Just get them. As soon as they've all weighed in, right, you sit here, you sit here. <laughs> Whoever wins gets an extra point. So let's say it finishes 115, 115 You can go back and go. Actually, he's got an extra point for the eating contest.
2: I would introduce the Paul Smith Junior rule. Um, <laughs> that basically says what's the most you can come over and still make the fight happen, <laughs> but also bonus points for you know the best excuse for doing it. So water retention when he flew out to fight Andre Ward, and he was about. 14 stone over <laughs> three something. months pregnant yeah so like let's see what the best excuse you can come up with is but I say we're going to call that like this world super series of boxing as the Muhammad Ali trophy we're going to introduce like the Paul Smith trophy and it'll go to those that are the most ambitious at coming overweight and also then can back it up with the most realistic story
1: thank you Jamie Reed. that was a, that was a good question um right same day weigh-ins that's my uh, <laughs> that's my legitimate answer um That aren't, like, six in the morning.
2: Yeah. No, have an actual same-day weigh-in eight hours before the fight. And that stops boxers from boiling down to stupidly low weights that they realistically shouldn't be fighting at and then being able to rehydrate and refuel, you know, for the 24 hours that follow on from it. It's just make the weigh-ins the same day and then fighters will start to fight at a weight that's realistic to their body.
1: Is it dangerous to make the weighings closer to the fight so if you had the weigh in say 3 hours before the fight would, well, that, would there be a problem with well, that? It, it, it would if
2: fighters kept you know Kel Brook everyone Eddie Hearn tells us every single time he fights he's not a natural 147 pound fighter ok so why is he fighting 147 pounds? <laughs> it's because he's got that day to refuel himself after so it's less um, taxing well it's still taxing don't get me wrong but he's got that day to build himself back up after If you had the weigh-in on the same day, you can't then go down Nando's and finish like 20 chickens or whatever because you've got to fight that day. So it'll make fighters actually fight at a weight that is realistic to where they
1: should be. But would there be any downsides?
2: Uh, the downside would be if the likes of Kell Brook still fought £170, 47 pounds
1: because that's dangerous yeah boiled down to the point where they were starting yeah. collapsing in the and ring and then go that.
2: into the ring and they haven't rehydrated yeah. they haven't refueled that's you know if they carried on doing that but I don't think fighters would because I think as much as they're ambitious and they're a bit mad I think ultimately they wouldn't I'd, I'd like to think they wouldn't go that far remember why they stopped the same day of Wayans? they stopped them because fights weren't happening
0: so people coming in over, and it's like, well, we can't have a fight.
2: Well, that's where we have the Paul Smith Junior
1: rule. <laughs> that's why I'm introducing that, like boxing, chess, or something like that. It'd yeah. be like an eating contest. Yeah, you can have your eating contest. <laughs> like when they have those like sausage hot dog eating. They take the sausage out, they dip the the bun in the water, so they can just swallow it down straight away. Just have these boxes just piling this food. Um. UK boxing fan, UK boxing fan number six asks: Has the BT Boxing Nation deal reinvigorated British boxing? Fifty-fifty cards with lesser-known boxes over bigger names in six to eight rounders.
2: Has it reinvigorated it? What's your definition of reinvigorated? Is it Mine too is early? yes, it is too early. My definition would be: Has there been an influx of money that's come into the sport because of it? No, I don't think there has been. Um, whether BT are just dipping their toe in, I think Warren's always said, you know, give it until was it September, so when the new season starts. So that'll be the interesting one. When the new season starts in September, see if BT really invest in the sport uh, and give a decent quality product out of it. But, you know, as a as somebody who has an interest in boxing, I've really enjoyed it. I think they've put on some decent quality. Even like Friday night, we're going to come on soon to uh, the Matchroom Summer Brawl at the O2, or whatever they called it. Friday night's card at the Brentwood Centre in Essex was equal, if not better, than what Matchroom were putting on at the O2. Is that the real answer or the answer you're obliged to give us? No, 100%. When, yeah, when the lead fight, you know, the headline, well, we'll come on to it in a bit, but no, I think, you know, BT Sport, I mean, granted, the Friday night one was a Box Nation one, not a BT Sport one. But, uh, you know, they, it's up to Warren's game, undoubtedly, because he started putting on some, you know, competitive undercard fights as well as, you know, some okay, decent um, main events. Has it reinvigorated it, though? No, not at the moment. Not for me.
0: Um, I like what Frank's doing. Like, this, this is like Kel Brook versus Spence round 10, where Warren's like, if you're really going to try and take me out, I'm coming out
2: soon. I'm emptying the tank.
0: Yeah, so my test for how good it will be is what happens to a guy like Daryl Williams. Because you get the feeling that the machine is slowly moving behind Daryl Williams. And the reason I say that is this. Daryl Darryl does an interview with Sam O'Reilly from Fight Talk. If you can get hold of it, get hold of it. And is that the one in the car? Yeah. For, for a man who really has a very short temper in the ring, what I like about Daryl is He's incredibly articulate out, outside the ring and he's able to do what very few boxers can do. And that is deliver the right message in a politically palatable way. So get hold of that interview. If they can make something with Darryl Williams, if Darryl Williams becomes an in demand boxing star, you'll know that this BT Box Nation thing is worth because that's the test. Darryl Williams for me, because he's the closest to crossing over without having a prior legacy. And then I want to see what happens with guys like Boy Jones Jr. I want to see what happens to that level. What happens with a Bradley Skeet? You know, I want to see what they do with those guys because we know what Hearn would do with those guys. So let's let's see what happens there. Um, But Martin's right, and like this is all about bringing more money, more attention, more coverage to the sport, and no one's shown me a blueprint of how they plan to do that.
1: We just had a Cheetos break there.
0: Shout-outs to Cheetos. Perfect podcast food, whether you're recording or listening. Cheetos, feel free to get in touch with free samples it's of The an giant ones. Hungarian, awesome.
1: Mm.
2: <laughs> That's the sound of magic.
1: <laughs> really crappy part of the podcast. Right,
0: so. <laughs> so... Do a Chinese style, just spit the food out while you talk.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> no. And then be like Um Just Tulip asks, Is there any point in having a next gen show in Newcastle if you're putting Hole and Saunas on the card but not balotti etc?
2: Um Yeah, so the next gen show up in Newcastle has been headlined by Josh Kelly versus Tom Whitfield, I think it is top of my head. His point is it's called next gen, and yet you're putting on Stuart Hall, who's 33, I think, and Bradley Saunders, who last time we saw Bradley Saunders, he headbutted Reynolds Garrido because he'd broken his hand, and he was an absolute fanny for doing so. Um, it's disgraceful. You shouldn't do that. Like he knew he couldn't fight on, and so instead of just like taking a knee and quitting, he headbutted Garrido until the referee stopped it. Like that's disgraceful. I've always had an issue with that now. So, Bradley Saunders making his return on that card. Uh, is there a point in having it? No. Like, this is just a really poor... This is a problem we're going to have. If Hearn starts using these next-gen shows to put out the likes of Stuart Hall, who's 30-odd years old, in the home corner, I can understand it if you were putting him in there to put over a younger fighter, to get a younger fighter to get the win against Stuart Hall, but to put him in as like one of the home fighters, and he'll probably just beat up you know some overseas journeyman, Hearn's just taking these next-gen shows, if this is going to be his model, and he's just turned them into crappy Saturday Night Fight Nights, but with a next-gen label. Um, And, you know, that was never meant to be the idea. But has he got enough fighters up in the North East and, you know, Scotland, young fighters coming through? No, not at all. They're all down in London. But, like, Reese Bellotti isn't going to fight on that show, which is the one that Josh had queried about. Because Rhys Bellotti's from London. You need ticket sellers on these. Reese Bellotti can sell tickets in London. He can't set them up in Newcastle. So
1: where's the um, the Buglioni fight? Or the, uh, where's that going to be? So that's at the O2. So right, this is that explains the next question: Is why do you think Eddie has decided to put upcoming fighters on the Buglioni bill and not the next gen bill? Which presumably is because they're in London. Right? Yes. Right.
2: So you've got London fighters fighting on that. So the likes to Isaac Chamberlain, I think Reece Bellotti's on it. I'm sure Jake Ball will go on it. There are others. Uh, Lawrence Coley's on it. And um, so, right, July 1st, this matchroom summer brawl, I think they've called it. You've got the headline act is Frank Buglione versus Ricky Summers for the British light heavyweight title. Uh, then under that, you've just got a load of names at the moment. They haven't got opponents. So you've got Connor Ben coming back. Uh, as I say, Where's co- he been? Was he? Bit? I tweeted him the other day, asking if he got his jaw smashed by Ahara Davis in sparring. He didn't reply. <laughs> so he blocked you. <laughs> Possibly, I didn't look. <laughs> um, but this, this is where Hearn should have put his po- hand in his pocket and got the Ahara Davis Josh Taylor fight and put this on this card. Because at the moment, you've got a show at the O2 on July the first. Now I've had a few people querying, why are they doing this? The July first, you've got Frank Buglioni uh, versus Summers. Underneath that, as I say, you've just got a load of young lads named. They booked July the 1st for the O2 a while back, from what I understand. And with that date in mind, they were going to put on James DeGale versus Callum Smith. That isn't happening, obviously, now. Because Callum Smith's going out to fight DeRoe in America. And so what do you do if you're matching him at that point? Because the O2, to book the O2 in advance, there's a hefty deposit you're putting down on that. So what do they do? Do they piss away that deposit and lose 100% of the deposit... Do they piss it away and then go and book Wembley Arena or something like that? It's slightly more realistic for this standard of card. The Copper Box, I'm sure they could sell something like that out. Or do they just sell what they can at the O2, except it's probably going to be a bit of a loss, I'd suspect, because you're not going to sell it out on this card. Um, and yeah, so like, I think that's what they've had to do, is just go ahead and accept that it's not going to be a money-making show. And it seems like, I say, from what they've put on the posters and what they've advertised, they're just going to put a few ticket sellers from London on it, try and you know fill a few seats that way, but it's certainly not going to be sold based on the quality of the fights that are on there. But it's, 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 this is an absolute mess. And people need to call it for what it is, right?
0: Let's, and this is the problem boxing has. There's all this grandiose strategy and vision that gets shared on IFL, and other channels. And then what ends up happening? We get fed crap. And what I mean by that is this. That Next Gen series, from what I was led to believe, from guys who were on that series, was the same group of young fighters would travel the country. So Isaac Chamberlain would box in London, would box in Bristol, would box... Why? Because you want to turn him into a national star when he crosses over. And so let's say you have a show in Leeds, for example. What's the point of putting Isaac Chamberlain there if he's only ever boxed in London? It doesn't make sense. um, When you talk to the guys around Jake Ball What they say is Look how many tickets Jake can do in Leeds Because he's boxed there on numerous occasions They did it with Jake Where Jake was on the undercard for all these big shows around the country And that was meant to be the model for next gen But now what they're saying is Oh we just want to make next gen shows In local markets Which is absolutely fucking stupid Because there aren't that many fighters to support that strategy But Let's go all the way back to what we said about match before. Cross Joshua off, cross Kelbrook off, and you're struggling to find stars on that roster. And we're finding this out now. You know, Warren's up the ante, but Warren was smart where he said, I'm not going to give you more stars, I'm going to let you watch stars being born. You know, Daryl Williams, uh, Boy Jones Jr., Bradley Skeet. Uh, whoever you want to insert in there. You know, you can put all those names in there. Dubois, you, Yeah, your young Danny cars and all that. That's what you're building. Hearn's trying to sell you the superstar thing. and the problem with that is there's not that many of them and they're quite expensive. <clears throat> so now what does Eddie do? Does he then go, well, I'm going to do what Frank does. And then we'll say you're copying Frank Warren or he'll go, I'm going to stick with my model. Look, There was meant to be a show in June the 3rd, wasn't there? That was meant to be Dillion White. Yep. That got canned. We now have a joke of a show on July the 1st. And I don't mean a joke in terms of the fighters fighting who I've got a lot of time for. I mean, it's a show no one really wants. And it's a show Eddie probably doesn't really want to do. But it's, 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 it's a beef of money for some of these young fighters, essentially. And it doesn't look like September's going to be much better either. So I don't, I don't know what's happening with Matchroom. I think Barry Francis is stressing out, going, we're not delivering these home runs and we're about to lose Joshua. And then he probably realizes, no, Eddie, you're about to lose Joshua. I think we're keeping him.
2: I think there's a move away from the fight night model that Sky are, are having. So I looked at it the other day. There were 16 Saturday fight night shows in 2016, which were, you know, the, the ones where predominantly you get the likes of Anthony Crawler, Jorge Linares. So they they were either very good or okay good uh, shows. Mainly. Whereas this year in 2017, by the time the season ends at the you know, essentially ends back end of July, there would have been seven, I believe. Might be eight now with this new matchroom uh, summer brawl thing. But then they won't start up again till September. So realistically, how many are you going to fit in between September and the end of the year? Three, perhaps? So they're probably looking at doing 10 to 11 Saturday Fight Night shows in 2017, which is a significant drop-off on the number they did in 2016. You know, it's about 33% less than they did the year before. So they're going to start building these next-gen shows. So if I had to take a guess, what they're going to be doing in 2018 is dropping off these Saturday fight nights probably down to a maximum of 10 in 2018. And the reasoning for that is that you haven't got enough quality there to run a decent show every time. And so where Terry was saying, the model being that you take Isaac Chamberlain up to Leeds, you take him up to Scotland, you build them, is actually, there isn't the quality there at the moment to be building them. So you need ticket sellers. Instead of quality, where you could take that loss and take Isaac Chamberlain up, I think Hearns probably shit himself and realised, actually, I need ticket sellers in these areas, and not just to take these lads on tour and give them a bit of a jolly. Is actually, like, the business side of it is going to take over. I think we'll see less and less of the fight nights. I think we'll see more and more of the next-gen shows, and I think those next-gen shows will basically become crap fight nights. But under a different label. Because what Hearn said was that every fight night will have a world title fight on it. That's what he said when they signed the Sky deal earlier this year or late last year. Now this, you know, Frank Buglioni night, that's not going to have a world title fight on it. And I think if you realise you can't put out that many world title fights. But you've promised everybody that every fight night will have one on it. What do you do? You change the name. You just call it next-gen. You call it next-gen, you put more next-gen shows on and less fight nights, and then you haven't actually lied about it at all, have you? Um, so if I had to take a guess, that's probably you know the strategic move that they've made about it.
0: But look, you're the fans, right? I'm not going to say to you, don't go to the July the 1st show, because there are going to be some good boxers on there. But if, if if they're fighting bums and you're not tweeting Eddie Hearn or letting him know that this is unacceptable, then, I mean, you get what you deserve.
1: <clears throat> Chris Eubank Jr. versus Arthur Abraham might be happening.
2: Yeah, what I heard uh, July time. So I'm guessing that'll be for the IBO title, the prestigious IBO <laughs> title that Eubank's got his hands on. <sighs> yeah. Um, and for
0: that prestigious number six ranking with the WBA, <laughs> just below Paul Smith.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I heard either July 22nd or the week before July 15th um, in London. I think it's an okay fight. I think it's an okay step up for Eubank. Um, yeah.
0: Paul, Paul Smith w- would be telling us, like, that's the hardest fight in the super middleweight division.
2: <laughs> no, his fucking hardest fight is diabetes, mate. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> just, just, just for
0: anyone with diabetes out there, <laughs> Sorry. And and you never
2: thought you'd hear
1: me say sorry.
2: We have met people every week. We can't
1: polarise one group. Yeah, but diabetes is a step too far, mate. No, sorry. (laughs) Uh,
2: So, yeah, I think it's a decent fight. I think it's a good step up for him. I think he would smash Abraham to pieces. I think he moves too quickly, he's too fast. Abraham will plod forward. But I don't think you stop Abraham. I think it will just be. <laughs> it'll, it'll look a little bit like the Nick Blackwell fight, I suspect.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Pete Venom. <laughs> I really hope not. Pete Venom asks. Venom. Um, um, for the pod. Who has the best CV without having a title victory to the name?
2: Without a world title? Yeah. yeah. No, so, seriously. which current fighter has the best CV? I'm going to go with. Um, we were discussing him earlier in the car, Joe Smith. I think he's beaten Andre Fanfara, Bernard Hopkins. Um, he's up there, there and abouts in the light heavyweight division. I can't think of another fighter who's got legitimate names like Joe Smith has.
0: I was going to go with Artur Baturbiev. Yeah? Yeah. Um, and I know people say CV's not that long, but it's the way he's dealt with Everyone on that CV, like, nothing's going the distance. He's just steam, he's steamrolling people. And, you know, people are quite rightly like, mate, you're going to have to wait until I have to fight you. I'm not choosing to fight you. Because, look, the loser of Ward Kovalev will have to fight Viterbiev. Um That's an incentive to win in my eyes.
2: I think the problem with this is, I was uh, messaging Pete about it earlier. He was saying, you know, like, give a list and actually, when I started to try and cast my mind over it and look through some of the divisions, so many fighters get world titles. I think he was asking this on the back of George Groves finally getting his world title, because you could arguably have made the case that he was the best fighter out there not to have ever won a world title. Uh, best current fighter, sorry, not best ever. Um, so, yeah, uh, there was so, you know, the divisions have proliferated with world titles anyway. Um, Wait! No, 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 no.
0: Here we go. It has to be Paul Smith, right? I could give him a title, but I'm oh, no, not no, sure. no, 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 no. no. If, if the best CV to have not won a world title. I assume wins are irrelevant here, <laughs> right? If we assume wins are well, that'd irrelevant, that'd be Robin Deakin. He's for everyone. That's a good point. But 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 but. He was expected to go over in these. Like Smith, genuinely thought he'd beat Groves and DeGale. Got spanked by both. Genuinely thought he'd beat Abraham. Got beat by him. I mean, I mean, every time he pulls a cracker with Callum, he loses.
2: (laughs) <laughs> his ends up with the, with the shitty bit but, I mean if Paul Smith does ever get his hands on a world title that'll be embarrassing. I'll stop I'll stop watching boxing but, I mean the, the, you know this Tyrone Zoriga fight he's got coming up I know it's a WBA regular but Sky will forget to mention that so just remember oh, it when oh. you see it but you know how can you be a world title holder when you're the second best in your family at that weight division? Like, how could you? It's like saying Phil Neville's the best right back in the Neville household. <laughs> it is not the
1: case. <laughs> this is. All right. I think you going to oh, well, uh, so say something.
0: No, but also I think I think what that question highlights is how crappy a lot of CVs are. We don't. We don't really have what I call Hall of Fame CVs anymore. Like you look at Carl Froch's CV, I say that's a Hall of Fame CV. I don't even judge. I mean, I, I include the losses in that because he dared to challenge himself. And how many others have done that from the UK? Value.
1: Dare to dream. Um. Okay, so a few questions on George Groves, and uh, and best super middleweight in the world coming out from last week. Um, Now that George Groves has a title, does that set up a James DeGale fight? Nope. From Um, dumps.
0: No. George doesn't want the fight. Doesn't... If you can catch George in a private moment and say, do you want the DeGale fight? His attitude is, why? I already beat him when he thought he would beat me in the amateurs. I used to beat him up in sparring. I fought him as a professional and I beat him. Why do I need to fight James DeGale? I don't. He needs to fight me. Now, if someone offers George stupid money to fight DeGale, he'll do it. But he's not going to do it for pennies because he doesn't need the fight.
2: I think Groves is at a stage where, and he's earned it, you know, the hard way. I think he's at a stage where he can just start to look at the money fights that are there for him. So if DeGale is, you know, the biggest money fight available. But he's chased DeGale for a long time. You know, when DeGale held his title and Groves didn't have one, it was always the stories of Groves trying to get hold of DeGale, calling him up when he was in a shopping centre. I think there's one of those stories knocking about... Uh, he was trying to get that fight, but now he holds a world title. I don't think he has to chase Degale. I don't think he should chase Degale. I think he should just take the fights that are going to earn him the most money. Because uh, he hasn't got that long left in his career, has he really? Like, what's he got maybe four years? Tops? Perhaps five? Um, does it set it up? I think that's a finale. That's a career finale for both of them. I think they can do that without any titles involved. So I don't think there's a risk that if one of them lost it, it loses any value. I think that's, that's the one that, because it happened so early in their career as well, everyone wants to see it still. It's not like Khan-Brooke, where we've never seen the two in the ring together. We've seen Degale and Groves in the ring, and so that's already set the, the seeds for it. I still want to see that in three years' time. If neither of them held a world title, I still want to see that fight, because I know there's that personal animosity. I've seen it firsthand. The fact that the likes of Khan and Brooke have fucked each other off for so long, I don't want to see it, because mm. I've never seen them.
1: Yeah, and you just know they're only doing it now cynically because they've got no other options.
2: Yes, they've got no other options and it'll make them the most money. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: could it be Groves' ambition to uh, unify the division? Uh,
0: uh, it's, it's a hard is it a
1: realistic one. ambition is what I mean.
0: So it's a hard one. Um, I think he beats the winner of Smith and Jack. No, not Jack. Smith and Durrell. He probably beats DeGale. So that's three of the belts he could hold. Ramirez, maybe we we still don't really know what yeah. Gilberto Ramirez is about, so that's that's a big maybe. But the elephant in the room for him, I guess, is this 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 kid, this David Benavides kid, who, who 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 basically smashed Porky Medina to pieces. And if you remember how. De Gale was trying to convince us on an IFL interview that nobody stops Porky Medina. Even though I don't remember had your impression him. of
2: it from last week. So.
0: Uh, there you go. James doesn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: um, um, but just go back to a point. I think we realise how little drawing power James De Gale has because he couldn't make the fight with Callum Smith. Like... If Callum Smith is going over to America and shout out to to Russ for this uh, at Big Vern 46, character and a half on Twitter, but it's a point he raised. He goes, look, if Callum Smith is going over to America to earn $990,000, whatever that purse bid was, how little money does DeGale generate where you're like, I'm going to take that option over fighting James DeGale, who from what people are telling me, is looking increasingly shot anyway. Why wouldn't you just take the DeGale fight? My, my suspicion is there's not that much money in the, in the UK.
1: Um, question on Brook from Paul Hindley. Has the Golovkin fight... We kind of covered this thing, but has the Golovkin fight essentially ruined Brook's career?
2: Yes, I said to Paul on Twitter that we covered this last week, but I will take any excuse to go over the fact that Hearn is a snide you know, piece of shit that has basically sold... Brooke down the river with his career and that Golovkin fight that Golovkin fight ruined Brooke for me you know as we said last week that face is one piece of bone those eyes you know maybe he's going to come back rebuilt a different man quite literally Um, who knows who knows where Kel is at the moment we need to
1: it's easy to forget that that Kel that Brook came uh, that Brooke-Golovkin fight came out of nowhere when Brooke and Eubank were supposed to... Uh, yeah. Sorry, Golovkin and Eubank were supposed to fight, yep. weren't they? It so there was, there was a void.
2: The they probably paid the O2 deposit. Her needed someone that probably owed him a favour for doing... <laughs> for <laughs> doing a favour. Don't do it! No, I'm just saying that, you know, that date was probably booked with the O2. We said earlier it's a, it's a high deposit of the O2. He probably needed somebody to fill that void where That's Eubank... Where Eubank and, wouldn't sign
0: it. And he needed K2 for the Joshua Klitschko fight. Let's yes. Don't forget
2: you, that. You don't want to piss off K2. You've already committed almost to a date. Um, and so, yeah, he needed somebody who perhaps, you know, was owing a favour somewhere to step in and fight Golovkin.
0: Go back to the to the podcast we made at the time where we said Brooke Golovkin was Eddie Hearn cashing out on Kelbrook Brook. At that point there, he was like, this is me cashing out on Kel Brook. The two Missed Alexander fights that I probably paid for, the, I mean, the Tenerife incident, the Diego Chavez debacle, all of that stuff, I'm cashing out on this guy now because I can't rely on him to be my franchise player. So Hearn already had that in mind. Let me get my money out of Brook because I don't think this guy is going to cut it, was the sense I got. No matter what he says in the media, judging by his actions, he could have he could have done anything with Golovkin. He could have said, you know what, Paul Smith, ball down to one six four, you know what, whoever. He could have dug someone out for the right money, but he threw Kel Brook in there because he's like, I need to see my return. Now Kel's fried because, you know, and people people close to the Brook camp have said it. He was surprised at how hard Golovkin hit. Like, that's traumatic. Like, you go from being a welterweight and you can take the punches. You're getting hit by Golovkin, who's essentially got, I mean, it's like titanium fists. And, you know, that's going to have an effect on you. You've now fought Errol Spence. He's kind of done the other eye. How do you come back from this? He will come back. I don't doubt that for one second because boxers are deluded. But, wow, um, it's a long road back.
1: Um... Okay, Haskins versus Burnett. Ryan Burnett,
2: yeah. Uh, Fighting uh, next Saturday over in Belfast for Lee Haskins. Title, the one that he won on the scales, essentially, when uh, it was on the undercard of Canelo versus whoever it was. I can't remember now. Lee Haskins has looked underwhelming since winning... That world title, he fought Stewie Hall uh, at the 0-2 on the undercard of Brook Golovkin in what was an absolute stinker of a fight. Uh, And I like Lee Haskins. I'm a big Lee Haskins fan. He's done everything the hard way. He does it without the backing. Uh, You know He's gone down every possible title route to get where he is now. And this is Eddie Hearn's second attempt at essentially buying that title. He tried to buy it for Stewie Hall uh, and it didn't come off. So now he's trying to get it for Ryan Burnett. It's very, very early in Ryan Burnett's career. Uh, trained by Adam Booth. He's a good young fighter. Um, I just, I think Lee Haskins may just be a little bit too wily for him. Uh, he's quite a skillful fighter, Haskins. But he's, he's awkward to watch sometimes. He's not the most... Like, when he's on form, he's quite a stylish fighter to watch. When he's not on form, he can really, really make a stinker of a fight. I don't think it's going to blend well particularly. I don't think Burnett's got enough experience to make it blend well. Um, I think Lee Haskins will probably be going home with his belt still.
0: I think Lee Haskins will go home beltless. Um, in that stewie Hall fight, what you realise was, if you put the work rate onto Lee Haskins, there isn't really a response. Um, the analogy I use is, if you look back at the Kell Brook fight, what you end up seeing is, a world champion should be able to move up the gears. So when a challenger says we're going up from 70 effective moves per minute to 90 effective moves per minute, everyone's just enjoying the Cheetos, guys. Apologies. (laughs) Like I said, if Cheetos want to sponsor us, can we have a campaign, please, for Cheetos to sponsor us? In fact, can they sponsor us? (laughs) Can they sponsor us to go to Tenerife and actually have a Q&A session to find out what did happen. We could become like one
2: of those investigative prog- uh, podcasts.
0: Like, like the Cook Report. Or Serial. Yeah. Is Esther Anson still alive? Can she help out?
1: <laughs> mm. well, we only investigate things that happen in tropical climate.
0: Like, yeah. like Tenerife, yeah. yeah. You know.
1: Bermuda, Valada.
0: No, If anyone can hook us up with people in Tenerife, we want to do a, just a proper Q&A, just really find out what happened. But I'm, I'm, I'm sidetracking. Burnett could theoretically move through the gears, and I don't think Haskins would give a response. Once it gets uncomfortable for Lee Haskins, I think it could get tough for him. And Adam Booth is the sort of guy who will do it on a numbers basis. He'll go, look, just throw 17 jabs around in this one and watch him start to fold. So it'll be interesting. I think if Burnett shows up hungry and determined, I think you'll find Haskins folds mentally. But if Burnett thinks it's going to be an easy walk in the park, then Haskins might make him look silly.
1: Um, Sam, Sam Broccoli can? what's that all about?
0: Broccoli, man, God's <laughs> own vegetable.
1: Right, okay. Sam can I'm refusing to say that. No,
0: normally fried with garlic gives you a really nice hint of garlic. holiness. That no, no, right. is holiness.
2: Holiness? <laughs> is
0: that what the Pope has? I'd imagine so. He has his own broccoli garden.
1: <laughs>
0: um. Florists in Florence.
1: What happened to Hennessy? They seemed to disappear after the Tyson slash... Still making brandy, debacle. I guess.
0: So, Mick still manages Tyson Fury, right? I just think his promotional interests will be covered by Frank Warren and BT Sport in some kind of arrangement. So I don't think he's a Box Nation fighter, but I think there is a relationship with... Team Fury in that sense.
2: So let's be clear: they have lost the Channel Five. Like this is where you would have seen Mick Hennessy is on Channel Five. Um, you know that's why people are aware of him. Now Mick Hennessy's you know gone through the years. He's another one who's had a hard, hard ride. So he had the likes of Darren Barker, Carl Froch back in the day. Hennessy's long in the tooth in this sport, uh, and so Fury. You know you kind of felt for him when he gets Fury. And Fury goes on and wins a world title and the Fury team stick by him and they say, you know, Hennessy's our man, we don't need Hearn, etc. And then it all kind of crumbles apart. You kind of feel for Mick a little bit, really. Uh, But you're not really going to see him that much front and centre because he is, as Terry says, I I think he's the manager of Fury, I think. But he's certainly not going to be doing the promotional side of it because he hasn't got the TV deal now. Channel 5 have gone with Cyclone. Um, and so that's why Fury is now I suspect ending up on um Box Nation is that they've made that deal to have him promoted that's that way. um so Mick will just kind of sit in the background, I suppose, yeah, just taking those checks, I guess um
0: but it's a shame because we're losing a lot of these promoters, like your you know and your guys like Dennis Hobson and your Stevie Woods and your Mick Hennessy's and obviously Mick's probably a different level to those guys. But they used to be the guys who were unearthing the talent and bringing it through the right way. And we're not getting that anymore. We're getting kids being thrust into the limelight too soon, being Instagram superstars too soon. And they're not working on that seasoning. And they're not, they're not learning how to, how to work in tough environments and tough crowds who don't like them and will throw beer at them. They're not having that tough schooling anymore, which the Americans still go through. And I guess that's what makes them different. But it's a shame to see that we're losing these promoters, you know. And that's why happy to see the the resurgence of guys like Steve Wood, not Steve Wood, uh, Steve Goodwin. And you know, long may that continue. But let's have you know, let's have the same sort of profile for guys like Dennis Hobson. And they they should have carrots that they say, look, we can get you on a Warren show up north. You know, if you stick with us, and that's what we should be seeing.
1: Mick, Senor Tasty, he's so gone back he's, to his original...
2: So he's back to who he is now. Yeah. His Mexican roots. He's yeah.
1: <laughs> <It's laughs> clearly not Mexican either, <laughs> is he? He's from like Ilkaston or something, um, Derby way. Who would be the best promoter to fast track 31-year-old Joe Joyce into the pros? Or is he best off staying as an amateur? I mean, I, he didn't ask that, I've just put that as a caveat. But From what I know, it's a done deal that he's
2: gone pro. Um, so, scrap that second part of the yeah. question. Uh, <laughs> That's why Mick didn't ask it. <laughs> can I throw in a left-field one here? It'd be David Hay. Like, if David Hay can get himself a spot somewhere on the British TV circuit, somewhere. Um, David Hay is a man who's you know he's a heavyweight. He knows what he wants out of heavyweights. He can tell Joe Joyce how Joe Joyce should go out and fight. Why would you want to get caught up in the traffic of Warren and Hearn when you're Joe Joyce? Because he's going to be difficult, like, based on his fighting style. And, you know, Terry's going to know more about him as an amateur than I do. I've only ever really seen him at the Olympics. It's not a particularly eye pleasing fighting (laughs) style. Um, And so, is Hearn really going to push him? He's older than Joshua. Let's not forget that. So, he's not going to push him above Joshua. He's not a long term investment for him. He's older than White. Yeah, has he got a world title And him? Possibly. It depends how he, he translates.
1: Is he good enough for a world title?
2: I don't know. I mean, he, he's got a good work rate he's on big. him. He's big. He's, he's big. He's powerful. He could do it, but I say he's not got the most eye-pleasing of so, styles. So you've got to look at it differently. So you've got
0: to do what you've got to do to win amateur bouts. Amateur bouts, whoever throws the most punches normally wins. So his style set up perfectly for that in the amateurs. Can Joe Joyce slow it all down and go, let me do more with less? I think he can. Can he work behind the jab and boom that big right hand in? Yeah, he can do that. And if he does that, you're probably going to fall over. So, if it was me, agreed, I'd have him with a promotional company where he'd have his own lane. Because he doesn't need to be front and centre. He needs somewhere where he'll have his own lane. And that's either Cyclone or... It's Haymaker Ringstar. And I'll uh, go back to my earlier statement. You see where the tension is between David and Shane. It's like, well, what do you do here? Do you do you sign for Haymaker Train with Shane? And then Shane's like, well, why aren't you a cyclone? So there's all those tensions. And I know... Uh, I don't know if this has been confirmed, but I know Joe's been having a look at Shane as a potential trainer. So... It'll be interesting, but he needs that lane where he's the number one guy. And all you do, same thing with Daniel Dubois, but at a higher level, you just push him. Let him fight five times a year. No four-rounders for this guy. Straight into six-rounders. He's fit enough to do it. Six-rounders, ten-rounders. Have him fight for the British title. He'll beat Dave Allen now. So why even waste time? Let him fight Dave
2: Allen. He'll beat Dave Allen. Yeah, cause what they I mean, Warren is backing Daniel Dubois no end. If you follow the Frank Warren social media accounts, Daniel Dubois is pushed almost constantly to you, which is great for Daniel Dubois. And there's a, a piece they wrote the other day about it. He's 19 years old and you've got to be, I think it was 21, to fight for a British title. And he was querying in this piece about why have you got to be 21? You could fight for a world title at 19, but you can't fight for a British title. And so he's trying to push for Daniel Dubois to be able to get that slot. Um, so why would you want to go to Warren if you're Joe Joyce? You've got this 19-year-old wrecking mm-hmm. machine that's coming through. They're clearly pushing. Why would you want to go to to Hearn? So you've got to look at one of the other potentials for me. If you want to do it quickly, because with the others, you are going to get lost in that mix somewhat. I think it's just he needs to find, as Terry rightly puts it, a, a lane of his own somewhere.
1: So we've come to what would normally be the end, but I, the end I of the having road. learned the amount of times it's happened, i would be like, Terry, have you got anything else to add? Of course, it's Sunday, <laughs> I'm here, I've got things to add. Just a quick shout out to 20 minutes later
2: Cheetos,
0: <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Cheetos, Hungarian version, incredible. Um, not as good as the Tangy Spirals, but wow, it's close. It's damn close um, Shout out to Bundaberg for the root beer As always looking after us You know they should really officially sponsor us um, Just to issue a statement So everyone knows them, Please share this on your social media profile Because I've been asked questions I have not been approached to train David Hay um, You know
1: what, no, but, Share that you haven't been approached Yeah I just want to reiterate I have not been approached <laughs> no, <right>. There, there <laughs> have been no
2: discussions
1: <laughs> Yeah so make sure you sort of Yeah I've not been approached by Klitschko either um, no, no, you have
0: been. You need a tinder tip.
1: He specifically counted me to ask me not to train.
0: Yeah, no, no, he did. He'd ask you what specific radius he should have. Oh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> in it, Barden, Baden wherever he yeah. has his training camp, <laughs> it gets lonely. Yeah. Um. No, no, not that much to say. I think there's a Harringay Box Cup in a couple of weeks. I'm likely to be away, so I'm going to miss it. But if you're a boxing fan and you're in London and you can get down there, is probably the best three days boxing you'll get. It's about 35 quid for the weekend. And you think that's a York Hall show and you get to watch probably 125 bouts if you can get around to all of them. And I say this and please, I know there are guys here who can get to Steve Goodwin. If you're Steve Goodwin, if you're any kind of promoter... Steve listens. Talk to him. The Harringay Box Cup Super Heavyweight Tournament in the Open Class this year is incredible for the talent that is available. Um, I can't list all the names off the top of my head, but you've got young Courtney Bennett, a guy that I trained, and I think is the real deal, the reincarnation of Riddick Bowe. you got John Pallata, another guy I've trained. The most athletic heavyweight there is. Even David Hay had to nod his head and go, he's a real athlete. you got a young guy from Norway called Simon Niasata, who delivered one of the most frightening knockouts in the Harringay Box Cup that I've seen. It was so frightening, Steve Bunce left it off his list of knockouts of the, of the tournament. Like, left it off. But, you know, maybe that's because... Was
2: it like an Area 51 knockout? Like, can't but, discuss it.
0: Nah, he, it, was, it was a proper knockout. Too so
2: extreme.
0: Because Simon's what? He's about 5'11", foot, right? He boxes a guy who's 6'7". Um, mate, well, I'll show you the video afterwards, after this, so you'll see what I mean. Um, So he's, he's in that and you got Jamie Shakiva as well. So Simon and Jamie Shakiva were at the Cecilia Breakers fight in Norway. They were like the warmer pack for that. So 9,000 people got to watch these guys. If you're Steve Goodwin, if you're Steve Wood, if you're Mickey Hellett, if you're Dennis Hobson and you're looking for a big man to anchor your shows, if you're not at the Harangay watching these guys go head-to-head, you're missing out on sheer gold. I promise you. Get involved in that.
1: Uh uh-huh. Is
0: that? It? I don't know, man I can sing some Peter Andre songs if you no, want. I
1: mean, <laughs> I'm not compelling you to give us more. to know the place to be. Wait, you, you
2: haven't gone with mysterious know, girl that's or flavour? No, 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 you What's see? Flavor?
0: no. What's no. You you
2: you, your flavour? guys your flavour.
0: <laughs> you guys are so generic. You've got to go with the hair,
2: balibali, hair, balibali, You've got, hey, got to go to track six on that CD. I've got, well, I've got, uh, the, I've got it.
0: If you feel it in your soul, let the music take control. Oh, no. What's the one he did with Jordan? I don't know
2: all no all right. these songs. What's the one he did with Jordan? The, uh,
0: oh, the one they did live, and it was horrible. World. Her voice was amazing, wasn't it? Oh, oh, yeah. She's got great lungs on her. <laughs>
1: um, right, is that where we leave them? What have
0: we. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, what, what, what say? I just.
1: What,
2: what? what about the Ben v Ben beef? Oh, Connor and Harley. <laughs> You think sometimes just pick a phone up. Like You don't have to do this on Twitter, you bellens. <laughs> Connor and Harley, like, putting up... They weren't even putting up tweets. They were writing it on their phone. You know where you'd write, like, a, a message to someone and then screenshotting that and putting that as the tweet to the other one? What? They've both got the same dad, as in Nigel, but they've got different mums, and so they've gone very different routes of their life. Um, and, yeah, they were having it over Twitter sending these screenshots to... It was just odd. I think, just... Okay, you don't get along with one another. There are people I don't get along with, so I don't tweet them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's good to see Conor back on social media. He, he, he's been missed greatly.
2: Yeah, what an insight. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> who else? Tony Yoko, looking good. Looking very, very good. A little undersized for my liking, but you can see what Virgil Hunter's doing with him. He's going to be a very hard man to hit in the heavyweight division when it all comes together.
1: Right, Terry, you've got anything else to add? I'm done. Oh, my God. So, I think we're no, no, to no, no, no. Nah, yeah. nah, 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 oh,
0: nah. wait. No, nah, you know, I had to spin it back there. I had to bring it back. I had to bring it back. Chantal Cameron, it's all love. No, I'm out.
2: Chantal, I think we we need to start a campaign. We'll get Chantal on here.
0: She might just beat me up, you know that? Just show up here. Yeah, that's
2: not <laughs> uh, Shopping centre, you said. And Stacey Copeland.
0: Shouts out to Stacey, man. Very active now, man. She's really doing her thing for women's boxing up north.
2: When's we- her debut? Oh,
0: God. I'll be lost more track. active. Tell us. Yeah, definitely need to be more active. Um, Sam Smith. Everyone, Sam Smith, follow her. Be friends with her. Talk to her. Sam Smith's world, whatever. Female boxing done right, done properly. Great story, great human being. Sam Smith, please get behind that. I'm done.
2: I'm giving a shout-out to uh, Kevin Campion, who I was chatting to earlier, who has set up iBoxingTickets.com, which is a website to help um, lads kind of lower down the boxing scale, some of the small hall lads. Um, it's a way of selling tickets online that essentially doesn't mean... You have to go and see uh the people. So traditionally small hall boxers, if you've got to sell a hundred tickets, you've got to go and see a hundred people, go and see your mates, drop them off, um, you know, post them out to people that are a little bit further away, organise them to meet up with your brother or whatever. He's done it so you can buy from the boxer directly and do it online, and that boxer's ticket shares still get uh put into the show, which is always the problem with small hall fighters that you know, for Anthony Joshua, you want an Anthony Joshua ticket, you go and Stub Up or whatever and buy it off there. For the younger fighters, they've still got to be proving that they're selling that number of allocated tickets and this is a way for them to do it online without the hassle of having to meet up with people. It's a fantastic initiative. Get behind it. iBoxingTickets.com
1: Is that it? I'm done. I'm so looking forward to this ending now.
2: I know. Hang oh,
1: hangover kicking well in. Right, okay. Thank you very much for listening. Get your questions oh, in for more, next one week. One more shout out to uh,
2: Andy White for doing our editing each week and all those people that tweet me saying is the pod going up tonight on a Sunday? Don't. Yeah. Tweet Andy. I'll read out his number right now as well. Actually, or actually, just log, like, create a female a female Tinder account in Milton Keynes radius. Doesn't even have to be female. (laughs) But you'll get hold of him that way, guaranteed. So yeah, you know all those people that ask me on a Sunday evening is a pod coming out. It all gets handed over to Andy. No,
0: stop, stop, Andy. When is the pod coming out? (laughs)
1: Um. Actually, actually, while we're asking this question, they're going to hear it, and go... Oh, the, they've already listened to it when they hear the news <laughs> that's coming out. Andy, <laughs> when did this pod come out? Yeah, uh, I'll probably do it tonight, but obviously, people will be hearing this on the way to work on Monday, thinking, "I don't care that it was published on Sunday evening." They, anyway, right, do let's uh, let's end it now. Uh, Fear yeah, music now.
2: i it, up, it, up, it,
0: up, it, up, it, up, it, up, it, up, it,